Born in a silent movie, raised in a derelict Hollywood mansion, adjusting to reality's harsh light, this is Static Empire. Dahlia Nightclub in downtown Hollywood. I'm Ben Ryland, joined by Daniel Clemens in this edition of Static Empire as we discuss women on the brink with 1939's The Women and 1944's Double Indemnity. Yeah, The Women. 1939. An amazing year for cinema. Was it? What else was made then? Gone with the Wind and yeah. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, you know, I read that... Um... It wasn't nominated for any Oscars because of that year was the one of the best exactly. years of classical Hollywood. Which is such a shame because, in all honesty, although there are much more spectacular films as far as the filmmaking medium is concerned, script and dialogue, you cannot get any better than this film. Yes, you, what do you mean in like film in general? Of course you can. What about, you know what, All About Eve? Was that, was that made... Was that made after this film? Yes, All About Eve was the 50s, I think. Really? That late? Yeah, I believe so. Well, I guess, yeah, Betty Davis. Uh, no, it would be the 40s, because Betty Davis, she was old, old in the beginning of the 60s. Uh, I reckon I reckon it was the 50s. <laughs> Look, we can't even agree on that. I reckon... No, hang on. You Let could be just check. 50s. Yeah, maybe. Because if you think about how Early old she 50s. was in that, she yeah, was she's meant quite to be aging. Yeah, Yes, yeah, so oh, 1950. Oh, just on the cusp. That's, so that's the same year as, as Sunset Boulevard then. Yes, because Sunset Boulevard... No, All About Eve won instead of Sunset Boulevard. Um, best Picture. Did it really? Yes, it did. Cause Sunset Boulevard... See, they're both amazing films. I thought, look, we're not reviewing or critiquing mm. All About Eve, but I think that film is amazing. Is For dialogue, so much better than The Women. <laughs> Are you serious? So much better. Are when, you sure? When you... was the last time you watched All About Eve? Oh, yeah, it was a few years ago now. God, you should hear it. It's crazy good. Crazy good. Do you like my English? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to cut that out. So you don't. You can keep that in. Add so a bit of taste to Daniel Clements. <laughs> so what, what? No, okay. I. Why would you say that All About Eve specifically has better dialogue than the women? Because there's just times in All About Eve where I remember, like I don't actually remember the lines of either either films, but the rapport is just so much quicker and it's just it's just got so much bite. Sure, the women, of course it does. The women's great. I'm not saying it's not. It's I love. I, I think my favorite part about it is that it, it, and this is often why I like lots of things. It's it doesn't condone its subject matter. It seems to dislike it and spend a lot of time attacking it. Well, that's what we'll do. Like, we'll, we need to bring this back to the women, because there's so much to talk about. Yes. And so to, comparing to All About Eve. That, that was, <laughs> that's uh, random. That was random. <laughs> so, yeah, the women... Look, okay, talking about the themes of the women, okay, great. There's some great stuff that, you know, in brackets, feminism, oh, yeah, they're yes. fighting, divorce is great. It's, it's really interesting in the film when they go to that farm in Reno because it's the only place they can get divorced. Yeah, that's, that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, the divorce camp. Yeah, divorce camp. And it's like um, they you know, they feel like new age women because the mum of, of the main character keeps talking about the times when she was younger when they would just stay in a marriage if the 
Yes. If the, if the husband was like being... Which is an, a, a, having she, an infidelity. Norma Shearer's character, uh, as a result of that, quite early on in the film, gives an amazing, very, very pro-feminist monologue that seems to go for uh, two or three minutes of her just talking and, about how her mother is so old-fashioned and this is today... And yeah, she yeah, yeah. is. She has every right to be an independent woman and to go ahead and with her divorce. Yeah, which is amazing because she's she's portraying her mother as being so old fashioned, but she's in 1939. I know that's what I got a big shock when I saw it was 1939 because the way the the women's well she speaks in particular is so out there, you it know. Is. Um, but to say all of that, they make so many leaps, and then right at the end, it is it all ties in perfectly, and she goes back to her cheating husband. She, but her, is her husband necessarily cheating? But he had sex with her, like, I don't know how many times. Uh, he was an honourable man, that's what they made out in the film. Well, no, I don't think they made him out to be an honourable man. Well they, well, they said that that's why she, he married the Crystal, perf- Crystal the perfume lady, yeah. because Joan Crawford, because he felt he had to. Well, yes, because well, he's, he's portrayed as pathetic. Men are pathetic often in that sort of situation. I can't tell you the amount of times that I have become aware of a situation where there has been a divorce, often within the 40s or 50s age bracket, and the man will be very quickly the first one to go ahead and remarry. The woman will be often quite content to find herself and be independent. Yeah, there's that... It's true to life. Yeah, yeah. There's that really good line in it. They say that when women get bored, they redecorate their house and buy new clothes, and when men get bored, they... Find a new woman in their exactly. life. Exactly, that's good. I like that. It's so true. It's it was true in 1939, and it's true in 2013. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I look. Okay. I guess it does. It's amazing for its time. But, uh, but then at the end, she has her arms wide open. She's walking to her husband. She's like, "Love me, love me." Like it is. It's. <laughs> it's just like oh, and it, everything works out perfectly. Why did that irritate you? Well, it look at the time. It's great, but then again. For Hollywood, you know, for classical Hollywood cinema, that was it's great. It's very forward thinking. But I mean, looking at plays and stuff, um, the Dollhouse by like George Ibsen in Germ in what was it? I think he's a German playwright. This is in eighteen hundreds. He wrote um, a play about a woman leaving her husband, and she just leaves, and there's no happy ending. And this was quite popular in like in like theatre. Yes. But, but how does that take away from what the women is? Well, it's. I wish it had a stronger, like a stronger ending. Like it just stayed with its guns. Why you look? Okay, it's a hot classical. Of course, they want a happy ending. But then at that time, they they did make films with with you know. I don't endings. think it's necessarily about it wanting a happy ending. Um, although a Hollywood film would demand it anyway, if it didn't have a happy ending, it wouldn't have been made. But without her going back to her husband, I don't think it would have been as interesting a film. You can tell from the beginning that she's going to be upset with her husband. She's going to want to separate from him. Um, she's going to feel that they have irreconcilable differences. If you know that from the beginning and the climax of the film ends up with her not going back to her husband, what's the point? What is the point? I know, I know. I think you'll find in the 2008 remake, um, they did, oh. Meg Ryan's character did, Travel the independent woman path. Oh, I'm looking forward and to seeing that. Sure, it was it was nice in an episode of Sex in the City yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of way, but it was not the kind of thing you go to the movies for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I think you're right. Like it's some bits of it when she's 
she gets that speech from that woman she meets on the farm about um, uh, about all yes. these mistakes that she's made, and she realizes that it's her, kind of her fault too. The woman on the train. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. yes. Not the older L'amour, one. L'amour. No, not that one. Not her. The other one who is having an affair with the, with Sylvia's husband. Ah, uh, yes. She gives a good uh, speech, and she gets all worried. Right. It gets very tangled on the farm. It does, but um, it's slightly then, hard to follow. Uh, yeah, so they, she gives her that speech, and at that time I was like, wow, I really, I want her to, I want the main character to get back with her husband. But anyway, talking about the farm, that fight they have is awesome. The fight between, um, Sylvia and that woman who's having an affair with Sylvia's husband. Yes. Rosalind Russell is Sylvia, I believe. Yeah. Oh God, she's annoying. The overbearing, annoying she's gossip so, girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. She's terrible. What a brilliant actress Rosalind Russell Well, I guess. Is. Look, what else has she been in? Uh, Rosalind Russell, her most famous film uh, was possibly Auntie Mame, which was adapted into the famous musical Mame, yeah. which was a vehicle for Angela Lansbury. And her other most famous role would be as Rose in the 1960s version of Gypsy, yeah, where she famously did the uh, Rose's Turn song, which was heavily dubbed and later blown out of the water by Bette Midler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still need to watch that actually. That Midler version. Yeah, it's hard to find. Yeah, it is because it's made for TV. Yeah, very hard to find. Anyway, <laughs> this is going to happen a lot. I know. Um, <laughs> the women. Oh, look. Okay, and also the, talking about the 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 tempo of the film. It was a oh god. The beginning and end is awesome. It's amazing. Mm. It's really strong. The middle just dragged on for it, so long. For me, it droops a little when they're on the farm. Oh, so bad, and yeah. that, that could have been cut. And I could, yeah. So, and it's funny when I was watching it, I was like, I'm enjoying this so much. And then I was like, when the farm came on a bit before, I was like, I just want this to end. This film is. It's like it's funny. I was like watching two different films, but it yeah. really picked up at the end. I find that a lot with films that have two main locations. So this film feels of like a very New York film. And I love that. I love the feeling that it gives of this cosmopolitan 1930s New York, which is something that exists on film and nowhere else now. Yeah. yeah. But then they go into the, uh, out to the farm and it, it, it takes you out of the whole New York setting. And I think that's part of the reason that it starts to droop a little because we've been taken out of inner city New York and now we're in a farm and it's not an interesting a setting. So it just it, yeah. it goes off the rails a bit. It's sad, but then it, it comes back. It comes back very quickly yeah, and with a massive with, punch. That's great. With um, I think for me it comes back when Joan Crawford's in the tub. God, yes. she's good. For me, there's a specific moment where Norma Shearer's character, uh, the lead, she, she sort of decides to switch from being the victim and from feeling as though she's lost her husband. And this is the main thing. Oh my God, she says that amazing way. She says that amazing line. She's like, I've got my claws out and they've got jungle, jungle red. red. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is the best thing ever. (laughs) I read that also, I read about this film, that gay men go watch it and they know all the lines to it. Yes. Yes. Because the lines are incredible. Yeah. Every, seriously, I've watched this film three times now. I think I, because look, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. Well, one of the times I watched it, I watched it twice on DVD and then once I I saw it at Acme in the city. Yeah. On the cinema screen. And... When I saw it on the cinema screen, it was a different experience altogether. And every time I watch it, I hear new things. Yeah. So it feels... Oh my God, way, I can it totally understand. Like I'm watching a new movie. Well, I... Because t- I, I've just seen it once. So for me, 
I feel like when I watch a film, it's like getting together the plot, the characters, and the general feel, but you don't really listen to the script as much, obviously. Yes. Because you can kind of, when you watch it the second time, you can kind of sit back and and then enjoy it in a different way, rather than having Definitely to stay on. Because I think when you watch old films too, your brain is thinking in a different way, because it's all different. Yeah. Like Everything's different about it. I agree. You have, to yeah. actually, you have to actually try to watch these films. It's not like sit back, relax. Well, this is why I get Shut frustrated off. with a lot of people because um, a lot of people will not watch an older film. Uh, the other night I saw Sunset Boulevard and the person I went with, that was the oldest film he'd ever seen. And I thought, it's only 1950. What's wrong with you? Yeah, but that's... A lot of people don't watch older films and I think that if, when you do watch older films, there is so much that can be learnt and observed and um, gained from watching older films. But you do need to give concessions um, what do you mean concessions? Well, you have to you have to switch your brain on because these films have well, been made also, for a thinking audience. The and one you have to let them get away with certain things, like that final scene in the women, which I won't give away. But it's it's one of those oh, you can give away. It's it's made like how long? It's made like sixty years ago. Well, it's true. If you haven't seen, oh my god, just who cares? <laughs> well, it's a very emotional moment, and you know, in often in older films, when there's an emotional moment. Their body language will be over the top, and the way the line is delivered is over the top. So, and so George Kuka, is that how you say his name? Kuka? Kukor. George Kukor. Interesting trivia. I love my interesting trivia. Um, I want to say it. Fine, say it. George, we're probably not going to think, we probably won't think of the same thing. I think but George right. Kuka directed My Fair Lady, <laughs> and he also directed The Star is Born. Uh, which one? The, oh, the nineteen fifty one, not the Barbra Streisand one. Yeah, there's oh, there's one, one even before that. Yeah, no, the, the, the non musical one. The Judy Garland, no, Janet Judy Gale. Garland one. He, All right, he did. the Judy Garland. So the first remake. Okay, yeah. So George Cukor, yes, he, he now he was also a friend of Cecil B. DeMille and Billy Wilder. Yeah, and he uh, suggested that uh, Gloria Swanson be considered for the role of Norma Desmond. Yeah. And it's as a result of that that we have Sunset Boulevard. So good on him. Yeah, good on him. So yeah, uh, it's an interesting choice that he decided to make a film entirely involving women. Yeah, I mean, is there any other film ever like this? No, it's amazing. And even even the pictures in the back are all women. Even all the dogs were women. There's only one time there's a male. Yeah, it's an ornament or something. No, it's the it? bull in the fashion show who's a male. Ah. Yeah, but how weird is this? What is with the fashion show being in Technicolor? I know, I hate what that. What the f-, f? I honestly do hate that scene. That is so weird. Look, it, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it does. It looks. But I was like, do the whole film like this or yes, none of it? That's right, because they take you into this beautiful Technicolor bliss and then dump you back into black and white. And you're like, ugh. But I, me- I love black and white as well. Yeah, but it's too I jarring. Know, to it's too it jarring. They were beautiful. It was beautiful Technicolor. But it could be. It could be a good like comment on. Kind of stupid fashion, fashion too, though. Like, yeah, the fashion is stupid. Oh my god! The, no, the fashion in the film is is the fashion amazing. in the film it's itself phenomenal. is great, but the fashion in the fashion show is stupid. That woman that comes out dressing like a pharaoh or something. Yeah, but I just zoned out when that happened. Oh. Funny because I was like, "This is going on for a long time. It's nothing to do with the story or plot." Yeah, um, but it's I such a women's picture. Yeah, but it was <laughs> it was like what? It's funny. Um, um, there's another film, How to Marry a Millionaire. Yeah, uh, I've seen bits of that yeah. that also has a fashion show which strangely enough also has ridiculous out there fashion also involving an, an Egyptian theme there was an Egyptian for this one yeah there was some no, there, was, there, there was an Egyptian theme it was like they had different times of the day that the women were like at the park 
I'm sure there was a woman that came gown. out with an Egyptian themed outfit. I'm sure maybe. Maybe I'm combining this and How to Marry a Millionaire. I, I think you that. are. But the oh, like uh, Joan Crawford's dress at the end is amazing when she's at that that party. Oh yes, the insane, the sparkly the, one. Yeah. I often find that costumes in black and white films uh, are, are so much more uh, uh, outlandish and indulgent because they need to show. Like they, they do. can't, they can't show color or it's just like lighting in yeah, black yeah, and white yeah, films yeah, is often so much more impressive. Yeah, yeah. All right, double indemnity. Billy Wilder's film noir from nineteen forty four. It's interesting in the way this film was shot because um, a lot of quintessential. Well, there are a lot of quintessential elements to film noir about it, but a lot of film noir happened by accident. So it was sort of in the era people were just making thrillers with a European influence, and that basically became film noir. Whereas Billy Wilder, um, from what I understand, he 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 became aware of the the particular style that was being created by films of that era and intentionally use those elements to create his own version of that and that's how Double Indemnity in Double Indemnity came about um, and it's largely considered the finest film noir of all time now it's amazing because I watched Double Indemnity recently but just before like a week or two ago I watched The Big Sleep The Big Sleep is, direct, is written by the same author as Double Indemnity but it's so funny how much better double, what I think Double Indemnity is. The big, oh, for sure. The Big yeah. Sleep is so confusing. I watched it late at night. I got like three quarters in. I just lost all any care for the film. There was no tension. There was nothing. It, the Big Sleep is quite a complex story and I believe there were elements of the story that were not allowed to be touched upon. So it was all confusing. Version. Yeah, because it, it, it was supposed to, like it touches on pornography but not really because they're not allowed yeah, to talk about that's it that's right so it's, it's implied. it was so conf- but then you can still make a good film look at all the films that have been ever been made like there's some, been some great especially like Tennessee Williams plays uh, yes like look well, yeah, they but touch up but they make them still make a great film but to be honest the very first time that I saw just going into your example for a moment um, suddenly last summer yeah. the first time I saw that I was quite a bit younger but I didn't know that there was a gay element to that yeah, you'd have no implied, idea. But you, implied so subtly. And I mean, if you're if you're a gay person watching that film, you'd probably get it. Uh, but as a young person, I didn't pick up on that at all. And for me, that just it, the film had a much lesser impact the first time I saw it because of that. Yeah, well, Streetcar Named Desire it has similar, not as not as hidden, I guess. But yes. they're still implied, like the rape scene. The rape scene, yes. That, yeah. Well, that that's. That is implied, although it is quite clearly implied. Um, there's another film, one of my favourite films, uh, Too Late for Tears, which film noir viewers would know quite well. Uh, there's a scene in that which is quite clearly intended to imply that Elizabeth Scott's character is raped. Uh, and uh, it's... So, I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon for, film, for rape and for other social taboos to be implied in films back then. We'll let's stop talking about rape. Um, so, double indemnity. Uh, where to begin? Um, well, it's funny because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, it's such a... The characters are... It does come out of no, nowhere. The storyline is nothing, really. It's chance. Yeah, it's all chance. And these just everyday people kind of meeting. And also what's really interesting is 
for some reason, I always used to always think film noir has a detective in it, but this is no detective. That's true. Yeah, that's right. It's a common misconception, um, mostly delivered, I think, from films like The Maltese Falcon and, uh, well, The Big Sleep, I guess. But there aren't actually, when you consider classic film noir, there aren't that many that involve private eye in or or even a femme fatale in the way that yeah. the classic icon cliche has become. That is true. The femme fatale and this is the best and most amazing one of all time. She's incredible. She is incredible. I I've watched a lot of film noir and I do think there are more interesting femme fatale characters. Yeah, for sure. Um her character is biting, conniving, subtle. I know of a lot of other femme who are all of those things, but will go to even greater depths than Phyllis Dietrichs does. Okay, sure. Well, I mean, I'm going to take your word on that. Like, I have seen some film noir, but I'm guessing if you have the upper hand on the femme fatale. Well, I mean, I, well, look, you've seen another film, Pitfall, uh, also starring Elizabeth Scott. Yeah, I think uh, I blacked, blacked that one out. <laughs> I believe you liked Pitfall. Um, at oh, the that, time, anyway. That's well. That's when. Give quick. Give me a quick reminder. That's so when Elizabeth Scott plays Mona Stevens, a model. Who, oh yeah, uh, yeah. She's married to that. Call. Yes, she's, she's that not married. She receives a house call from Dick Powell, yeah. um, who was a former musical star, and then stepped out of type to make this film. Uh, and he. That's actually the same with the lead in this film too. What is it, George? Something? Um, uh, Fred McMurray is the lead of uh, Dublin. Dublin he also just did comedies before this. Yes, and it was actually Billy Wilder who asked him to do this uh, because Fred McMurray and Billy Wilder were very close, and he was Billy Wilder loved Fred McMurray. He knew he was reliable. He knew he was good. Yeah. Uh, but going back to Pitfall, so that's uh, it, it, it. It has a very similar social uh, conscience about it. Um, so Dick Powell is the insurance investigator, Elizabeth Scott is the femme fatale, but she's not an intentional femme fatale. In, in Double Indemnity, oh, she uh, is. Oh Phyllis my God. is very intentional. Yeah. Very, very intentional. So she's, from the minute she opens the door and sees Fred McMurray standing there, she knows exactly what she's going to attempt. She does. And I love the, the cycle in the film of her seducing the men to kill someone else. So that's great. Yes. Um... And that also, it's a very... Oh, no, there, there are two two females in it. So there's her and then the daughter of... Her stepdaughter. That's a, that's a small role, isn't it? Yeah. She's, that's a bit of a weird role. It's very... I think maybe that's like the ideal relationship that's kind of looking at. Because that, that boyfriend at the end goes back to the stepdaughter. And they're kind of like lovers and they fall in love again at the end. All kind of... Oh, to be honest, that side of the story becomes That's a bit of a blur in my head. Because that is like a subplot. You sort of, well, to be honest, I feel you come away from this film, even though there are subplots, you come away feeling like uh, it had two people in it Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. Really? So domineering. Well, well, I watched it recently and I can really. There's his manager who plays a big role. Oh, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, he keeps confessing, yes. like. The whole film is based on him confessing to his best friend or yes. his mentor or father figure, which is amazing. I think that's that's also really great, the whole flashback. But Billy Wilder does that a lot. And Billy Wilder also does a lot of things about mistaken identity. A lot of his films are about doubles, 
There's there's that look. I don't know the names. That's true, actually, that's the basis for Sunset Boulevard as Sunset well. Sunset Boulevard. Some like it hot is all about facades and that's doubles. True. There's that one about the train where she. It's a who's it? Who's playing? Oh, I forgot the actress. She plays like a little girl on the train, but she's like twenty. A little girl on the train, but she's like twenty. <laughs> she's like twenty. <laughs> I don't know this film. But, oh, that's, that's really. Yeah, she falls in love with like this man as a young girl. It's a bit weird. Um, yeah, so, double indemnity. It's amazing, because it's complicated, but it makes so much sense. Uh, look, do you... I, I love it. Oh, and wait, before you even say anything, I'm going to go on a side note. All right. I love how he calls her baby, and he says, shut up, baby, and then they kiss. It's amazing. So he kisses calling her baby, and they actually don't open their mouths throughout the whole film. They, they say all their dialogue through closed teeth. If you actually look very carefully, it's like, oh, shut up, look at my baby, shut up, baby. I think it's great. And how can you act with close teeth? I think it's phenomenal. Oh, look, uh, as I mentioned, I've seen a lot of film noir. I know this is considered the finest of them all. And it is very, very good. I just don't feel that it is the absolute pinnacle of film noir. You can't but Yeah, of course. If, if, obviously, what is your favourite? My absolute favourite film noir. I think it might be Pitfall, Even as I mentioned. Sunset Boulevard's uh, classified as film noir. Oh, yeah, people call it film noir. I don't believe it is. It doesn't have a lot of the elements of film noir. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I'm just being the... It's a... Look, film noir is a very... A lot of people have trouble defining it because it's not clearly defined. Um, Another another absolutely brilliant film noir would be Touch of Evil, directed, written and directed by Alton Wells. Does that have Lizzie's... What's her name? No, does not have Elizabeth Scott in it Elizabeth this time. Why do I have to not know her name? <laughs> this one. This is uh, Ben's favourite actress of all time. Yes, my favourite actress of, of all time. Of all time. Yes, the one who I met in person, had a conversation with. Anyway, moving on. She came out of her, out of her castle, her <laughs> decrepit <laughs> castle. She's like Mrs. Havisham, or Miss Havisham, and she walks out in a wedding dress. Yeah, a bit ah! like that. Instead of a wedding dress, it was a tracksuit on her way oh. to the dentist. Oh, that's <laughs> fascinating. That's amazing, because you... See these actresses like then they didn't exist, you know. They're like these stars. Well, that's and they what actually I are guess. real people. Which that's what I silly, find but... most incredible to see an actress like that from that era in her natural habitat, literally on Hollywood Boulevard. It's just incredible. Yeah. But uh, no, Touch of Evil, uh, Orson Welles, starring Janet Leigh, Marion Crane from Psycho, uh, yeah. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican, to the irritation of a lot of real Mexicans. Um, and Orson Welles plays a very, very, very fat policeman. Okay, I haven't asked But that is, it's not like other film noir, and I put that in a slightly different category because the the way it's shot is not, it doesn't fit into film noir perfectly, but it doesn't fit into any other genre perfectly either. It's 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 its, its own thing. The, it has this mood throughout the entire thing that is incredibly disturbing and unsettling and... Just, it's just disturbing. The whole film is disturbing. It feels like horror. Touch of evil. Yes, touch of evil. Yeah. Look, I haven't seen it, so I can't really <laughs> comment on it. But also, another thing but, complicating the definition for film noir and putting them on different levels is because most film noir happened that way because they were the domain of directors who had moved to Hollywood after World War Two. Uh, so they were bringing European influences to Hollywood like films. Like Billy Wilder, he's from like Germany. Wilder, yes, and like Fritz Lang, yeah. who made Metropolis in the silent era. 
uh, and then also made one of the most amazing film noir of all time, Scarlet Street, starring Edward G. Robinson in the main role, who is, of course, Fred McMurray's boss in Double Indemnity. Uh, that film is just another incredible feat. But, I mean, again, it's a B-movie, so it's very hard to put to, to compare them because something like Double Indemnity is very much an A-movie. It's got an A-list cast. It's got A-list production values. It had an A-list director. And then you've got other things that are B-movies. They don't have the budget. They don't have the stars. And often the only surviving prints will be decrepit old things that are on archives.org. Yeah, for sure. But um, to, to add some great facts about Double Indemnity, the, uh, did you know that they filmed an extra scene at the end? No. They filmed a scene of him in the gas chamber and his boss watching, like dying in the gas chamber. But because it was Hayes Code, they weren't allowed to do that. That would have been incredible. Really? I think that would have been naff. I think it's amazing the ending with him in the office, just confessing to the boss without, with no one there. Like that's, the, that's amazing. Well, that's it. The band's drunk and the singer's gone home. It's time for Last Drinks at the Blue Dahlia. Be sure to look out for our next After Dark discussion here at Static Empire. (laughs) 